0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. We come this morning, if you have a Bible with you, to Exodus chapter 19. If you do not have a Bible, if you are in need of one, or if you know somebody who's in need of one, we aren't just interested in giving them to people overseas. People here don't have them either. They're blue, they're on the table. Please take one and give it to whoever may be in need of a copy of God's Word. If you do have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> Exodus 19. We have been examining the book of Exodus for a long time now. Uh, and we have been focusing on one theme. We have been focusing on one theme. God delivers, redeems, and dwells with His people, that is good news for the believer in Jesus Christ and it is good news for those who are lost in sin today. The narrative of ancient Israel, I like to use that word narrative, not just story. Stories can be made up, they can be fiction, they can be something we try to convince people of. The Bible is full of stories, it is telling a story, but it is narrative because it is actual account. I hear footsteps, which reminds me that if you are a children four to six years old and you want to go to children's church this morning, follow the thunderous footsteps. I'm still getting in the habit of mentioning that. The narrative, the account, the historical record of ancient Israel recorded by Moses over the first five books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit reveals a pattern of how God makes a people for Israel. Himself. God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. He saves from bondage. He redeems through the blood of the Lamb, and he dwells with them personally. This is a pattern that we see in the ancient people of Israel. But if you're here today through faith in Jesus Christ, your story is the same. The narrative of ancient Israel and the narrative of your life with Christ is the same story played out in different ways. So as we focus on that theme, that is why we are seeing our own redemption. The plan of God's redemption for mankind play out in Israel. The ultimate fulfillment of this pattern, praise God, one day, we've sung about it several songs this morning, the ultimate fulfillment of that pattern will end at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is being played out over time right now throughout all of the biblical narrative, throughout your lives, the lives of people around you, the lives of countless, countless what does what Revelation say? Myriads upon myriads of people throughout all of time, God is delivering, redeeming, and dwelling with his people. However, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when God calls his people to himself for eternity, that pattern will be completed in the return of Jesus Christ. In Exodus, we have seen God deliver his people from slavery and bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. The deliverance was promised, I made note of this, generations before the generation that was enslaved even was born. Long before the first generation that was taken actually into slavery and bondage to Pharaoh was even born, God promised to the patriarch of not only Israel but of the Christian faith, Abraham, I will deliver your offspring. And through you, and this comes right to us, our lineage as Christians is so deep and so rich. And through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because out of him comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Promised long before the bondage even took place, God promised deliverance in Genesis 15, 13, and 14. And when in slavery... Unable to free themselves, they began crying out to God. The Bible says, God remembered his covenant with Abraham. He is not a God who forgets his word. He's not a God who goes back on his word. He is not a God who changes his word as his people, those whom he had promised to deliver. As they began crying out, the time came for him to deliver them. And in Exodus 2, we read about God saying, I have come to deliver. He remembers his covenant, Exodus 2, 23. And in Exodus 3, verse 8, God says, I have come to deliver my people. As we come now to Exodus 19, we are at the midway point of Exodus. We're going to be taking a break from the book of Exodus for a season to teach through some other things, to examine and explore some other scriptures, uh, to give opportunities for some others to speak and preach as well. So we are going to be taking a break after this Sunday at Exodus 19, and when we return to Exodus, we will pick up essentially in the same spot, but we will not dwell then as we will today on the start of this chapter We have come at Exodus 19 to an absolute high point in the narrative of God's people. It is actually really difficult to come to a higher point in the historical account of the people of Israel than the point we've come to this morning at Exodus chapter 19. We're only going to look at two verses, and everybody said amen, and some people said, but pastor, you can take two verses for hours. That's correct. I aim to not do that today, but we're only looking at two verses this morning, and you are looking at the beginning of a high point for the people of Israel. Would you read with me Exodus chapter 19? Nineteen verses 1 and 2. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel, encamped before the mountain. Dot, dot, dot. It's not a period. We're pausing right there. There they camped before the mountain. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We look to you in these couple of short verses, these few words, Father, these few moments that we have in this life. Father, we look to you for wisdom. We look to your spirit to instruct us from your word about you. Father, would you help us this morning? Would you help me? I know that I am unable to convey anything of your truth if you do not convey it through me. So Father, speak to me as you speak through me and may those here gathered be edified through the teaching of your word. God, build us up as your people. Father, I pray today as your word goes forward that sinners would be humbled to repentance and salvation. God, you alone save. Father, I pray that you would save through the preaching of your word today. Father, that the holiness of your people would be promoted that we would see the standard you have set and that we would live for it, Father, that we would be holy as you are holy. And I pray, Father, that above all, Christ the Savior would be exalted. Through all of my feeble attempts, through our weak listening, through our foolish thoughts in this world, God, may Christ be exalted over all things. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. I simply entitled the sermon, Encamped Before the Mountain. The end of verse 2, encamped before the mountain. It's very important for us to remember in a moment like this that Scripture existed for thousands of years without chapters and without verse. The people of Israel would have read this after Moses wrote it and it was given to them. They would have read this. It would have been... Just as Isaiah said, for those in the Bible reading plan, we just heard this in the book of Isaiah, I believe yesterday, precept upon precept, line upon line, they would have taken God's word, they would have read it over and over and over, there was no break, it started, it ended, no punctuation, so it's very hard for us to grasp, references good for us, we're taking a pause at this one spot to consider this, I have one aim from these two verses today in our time together, to help Further solidify this deep biblical truth and doctrine that God is faithful. Well, duh, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that we truly grasp the faithfulness of God you're like, Pastor, I'm not sure. Maybe you're just pulling this a little bit and leaning on these words a little bit. No, I don't, I don't think that I am. These verses show us that God is faithful and indeed the rest of scripture as well. I have one goal, that you will have a deepening in your heart and in your life of the conviction to the biblical truth that God is faithful, that it will settle in our hearts, that it will be manifested in our living and that God will be glorified as we draw down deeper into the doctrine of God's faithfulness. A couple of notes. You'll see in the very beginning of chapter 19, verse 1, on the third new moon. Remember that the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. They do not follow our modern day, what do we say, Greco-calendar, Greco-Roman. I always thought that was wrestling, but anyway, is it that too? Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, They follow a different calendar. It goes by sunrise, sunset, sundown. This is why the Sabbath, when we explored the Passover, the new day began when the sun went down, not when the sun came up the next day. They follow a lunar calendar. And so Moses here is marking time as he has for us often on the third new moon. Now we understand this even in our day. Every month, the moon cycles. And it's full it waxes, it wanes, it's gone, it comes back. This is how they're marking days on the third new moon. What do we understand this to mean? Three months. Much of our understanding of time and time frame in the book of Exodus comes from other biblical content. We do not learn a lot about time in Exodus from Exodus. We learn a lot about time in Exodus from other Aspects of scripture. Remember that scripture is the best commentary on scripture. Acts chapter 7 verse 23, follow this timeline briefly. Acts 7 verse 23 says that Moses was 40 years old during the events of Exodus 2. It says that when he was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. He killed the Egyptian and he fled, Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 5, he returns to Pharaoh as God's agent of deliverance for the people of Israel. And in Exodus 5, it says that when Moses returns and he and Aaron go before Pharaoh, he's 80. So the first five chapters of Exodus cover the first 80 years of Moses' life. And Deuteronomy tells us he only lived to be 120. So if he's 80 when he returns to Pharaoh and he only lives to 120, he's got 40 years. So at this point in time now, we've talked about three blocks of 40 for the life of Moses. In this block right now, we are in his third block. Moses' life is now waning and coming to a close. 80 years spent, 40 in the wilderness. He grew up in Egypt, 40 in the wilderness, returns at 80, and now he is delivering them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. All of the events in Exodus 2 through chapter 19 happened in 80 years. From the time that the people of Israel have left Egypt, follow this timeline, left Egypt, came to the Red Sea, crossed the Red Sea, saw Egypt destroyed in the Red Sea, had no water, had bitter water, had no food, and came to the mountain of God, it's been three months. This is really fascinating to consider that scripture sometimes moves broadly and sometimes it moves narrowly. The first 19 chapters, 80 years. From chapter 12 through 19, it was three months. Exodus 1 to Exodus 12, 80 years. We examined how God built a nation in Exodus chapter 1. We examined in Exodus 18, the last time we gathered around it, how God organized a nation Here, at the start of Exodus chapter 19, we see how God moves a nation quickly. Their deliverance and their flight from bondage and slavery in Egypt happened rapidly. Well, they spent so much time in bondage. Consider how long the people of Israel, the Bible says, 400 years they are enslaved, they are in bondage in Egypt. And in three months... That's a history point of teaching, and they're at the mountain of God. I wonder how often we consider in our own lives how quickly God has moved us from a life of bondage and sin to being a worshiper before him. This is a high point in the history of Israel because so much will happen on this mountain. The rest of Exodus, they don't leave in fact, the rest of Exodus, you've got to get into Numbers. All of Leviticus happens there. They're not going to leave until, like, Deuteronomy. They're there, and they leave in Numbers. and Deuteronomy, he recounts everything they do as they come to the promised land. Numbers 33 says, they set out, Numbers 33, verse 3, they set out from Ramesses on the day after Passover. That's precisely what Exodus 14 teaches us. The Passover happens, and it wasn't even, it was still night, and the Egyptians were like, get out. All of this destruction, all of this havoc on our land, all of the judgment of your God, and now the firstborn of our land is dead, leave. And They left that very moment. Numbers corroborates that, Moses writing, so we get greater detail in Numbers chapter 33 about their travels, says they left on the day after Passover, Ramses to Sinai, by our best straight line guess, students in school younger than 18, what is the shortest distance from one place to another? Everybody, everybody that's not a student in high school is whispering it, and all the high school students are like, oh, not another quiz, a straight line. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So if you drop a ruler on our best understanding of where Ramses is, and our best understanding of where Mount Sinai is, our best straight line guess, is that God moved greater than two million people in three months, a distance of at least nearly 300 miles. And for those that have never studied the terrain of the land, there's no straight line. It is peaks and valleys. It is rocks. It's ravines. Like, it's a barren wilderness, and God is leading them. I made thought, I I made note of this thought when I was studying No straight lines in the wilderness. As we've considered the people of Israel and what it means for us as Christians today, we have examined that though they were literally led through a wilderness, we are also led through a wilderness. This life is barren and empty. We are being led by God through the wilderness of this life. And as the Israelites faced mountain peaks and steep ravines, rocky crags, impassable, tight and narrow passages, you can understand now why this is such a miracle. There are greater than 2 million people moved a distance of nearly 300 miles in three months and they had to figure out the way to go. God led them, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, what a miracle just getting them out of Moses. And for us, there is no straight line through the wilderness of this life. How many mountain peaks? How many ravines? How many rocky passages that you can't get through? How many tight spaces that you try to navigate? It's 80 years from Moses' birth to the exodus. But in no time at all, God delivered his people, rescuing them from their bondage and he took them from that place of sin, that place of misery, that place of idolatry and he moved them where? To the mountain where he would begin dwelling with them in no time at all. I've been in church for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time following and serving God and trying to figure it out. And there are people who will stagnate in their faith. Are you saved? Do you trust Christ by faith? Have you received the grace of God? Yes, yes, yes. Then why are you stuck here? Because God delivers and redeems and moves you from that place of bondage that he redeemed and delivered you from to being a worshiper. Why are you not growing as a worshiper of God? Why am I not growing at times in my life as a worshiper of God and still in need of growing in that way today? In no time at all, God rescues his people from inescapable bondage, brought them through the wilderness, and they are now, before, as we will learn later in Exodus 19, his very presence. Why? Because God is faithful. This high point happens not because God pitied Israel in their bondage, not because God hated Egypt and destroyed them, because generations before, God made a promise that he fulfilled because he is faithful. Second note, there, Israel encamped before the mountain, the end of verse 2. Encamped before the mountain, It's believed to be Mount Sinai, exact location. Not necessarily exactly known, but they think they have a very good source of its location in the Sinai Peninsula. He has done this also, bringing his people into his presence. Moses gives us the setting. As he's given us time, he gives us setting before the mountain. This is a sign you'll remember. Why is this big news? Because God said to Moses, We have the promise of God to Abraham, I will deliver your people. And then we have the promise to Moses, God says to him in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12, when I have delivered you, I will bring you out and you will serve me on this Mountain. So God is leading him back to where he said he would. This is evidence that God has been with him, that God did all the work, that God delivered them from Egypt, that God redeemed them by the Passover lamb, that God led them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and to this very point in time. This is where God begins to dwell with his people. In Exodus chapter 19, God will literally descend upon the mountain. The Bible says we miss this. I think that because we have major motion pictures in our mind with thrilling actors and graphic effects, I think that we miss that God did not give the Ten Commandments to Moses. We're going to explore this in greater detail. God gave the Ten Commandments to his people. And after he did, at the end of Exodus chapter chapter 20, the people of Israel cover their ears and say, let God speak to us no more, for we cannot bear it. The Bible says, at the end of 19 and into chapter 20, God rushed upon his mountain, and God spoke all these words to the people, and God said, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. Therefore, You shall have no other gods before me and on through the Ten Commandments. Oh, how thrilling it will be to study all of those. On this mountain, the law of God will be given to God's people from the very mouth of God. Do you understand that it takes no time at all for the people of God to go from hearing God directly? How many of us, you all want me and I indeed too want to sit down that we may simply hear the voice of God and these people heard it in mass and said, no more. And do you know what happened? The position that I stand in today became necessary for God's people. I will speak to my people through men that I raise up to speak my words and teach my people. Moses becoming the first expositional preacher, taking God's truth and making it known to the people of God. It's beautiful. Here on this mountain, God will come. He will speak. He will give the law of God to his people. Here is the dwelling place. The tabernacle will be built. And the glory of God through the cloud will rush into the tabernacle and fill it, and they will see it. The people of Israel will see the glory of God among them here on this mountain God will be present with his people. On this mountain, God will make himself known. He will declare of himself who he is. Do you understand? We do not serve a God that we have made up in our minds. We serve a God who has made himself known. And in Exodus chapter 34, God will make himself known in these words. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and trespass and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. Did you catch all of those attributes of God in that? Merciful, gracious, patient. If you have a King James Bible with you, I believe Exodus 34 6 and 7 says, suffering long, great patience, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says of himself, I am faithful. Exodus 34 6, God says of himself, I abound in faithfulness. I am abundant in faithfulness. And it is because, precisely and only because of the faithfulness of God, that we begin seeing. This high point of God doing all that He said He would do for His people and bringing them now into His very presence at the foot of this mountain. The people of Israel did not find themselves free from bondage because of anything they or Moses did, it is because God is faithful. They not find themselves through the wilderness, the Red Sea, to this mountain because of anything they did. it is because God is faithful. God said He would do it, and God did it, and our story is the same. God is faithful. If you are sitting here today, confidently professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and holding on to every promise that God has made to us through Jesus, your story is exactly the same delivered from bondage, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and brought to the foot of God as a worshiper, because God is faithful. The point of the sermon this morning, to deepen our understanding of the doctrine of God's faithfulness. We understand faithful to mean these words, at times, loyal, dependable, consistent, reliable, Like someone who is unwavering in their actions, their conduct. They're like, man, they are just, what would we say? They're on point in everything. That's a faithful person. Dependable. I mean, like, everybody knows if you need something, call on Joe because Joe is faithful. We understand these words to mean faithfulness in people. We know people and we hope that people know us to be faithful. I'm sure that every person in here able to understand the reasoning from personal business owners to people that work for other people to any form of involvement in the work world or caring for children. I would be willing to wager that everyone in this room wants to be known as a person that is faithful, dependable. However, what we fail to understand is that when God is something, God is perfectly that thing. God is faithful. The Israelites find themselves at the mountain because God is faithful. He is perfectly faithful. God is holy. He is perfectly holy. God is love. He is perfectly love. God is just. He is perfectly just Have you ever wondered why it is so hard? Many of us in this room professing faith in Jesus Christ, you may be tempted at times to wonder why is it so hard for people to look at the goodness of God and doubt. You ever wonder that? I mean, I know I do. I'd be on the shadow of a doubt. I know why. I always wonder how can we expose the good truth of God and have people look at it and say, "Eh," and walk away. Do you know why? Our inability to understand God being perfectly what he is, is an effect of the fall. And at one point in time in your life, you could not understand that when God is something, he is perfectly that thing. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 tells us that man has been made in the image and likeness of God. To some extent, we still bear that image. As broken as it is, we exist today made in the image and likeness of God. But what happened in Genesis chapter 3, man sinned and broke the image of God in man. To the point now that when we read biblically that God is something, our only thought when we look at God and all that he is, our only ability is to look through the lens of broken humanity and think God must be like that too. People aren't faithful. We're not faithful people. Let's let's just wrestle it down. We struggle to be holy faithful. We are not perfectly faithful. God is perfectly faithful, but because of the broken image of God in man, whenever we hear God is faithful, we only think of unfaithful man. Whenever we hear God is love, we only think of unloving man. Whenever we hear God is just, we only think of man's perverted justice. We are so holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, fully, wholly broken that we cannot look at a holy God and see him as he is because of sin. Intro, the greatest man to ever walk the face of the planet, the eternal son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say of him? Peter says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When reviled, he did not revile, you know what that means? When insulted, he did not return insult for insult. When threatened, He did not threaten back. The Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene of time and we now have a perfect man to look to. We're all broken. If you look at me and consider me your paradigm of hope for what the scripture says, one, shame on you and how terrifying for me. I'm a broken person. There's only one that we can look to who's not broken, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, should we look to God? Jesus Christ is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three in one. When we look to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we see the express image of God. He has made him known. I can't think about God being loving because I never knew the love of a father. You say, Father God, but I've never known the love of a father, so God must not be that loving. Why is God so cruel? Why is there so much death and killing in the Bible if God is what you say? Because all we see is broken death and killing all around us. When we see God execute his judgment, it is a painful picture. Studying through the first half of Exodus has not been a joy, it's been a struggle for some weeks because we see week after week through the text of Scripture that God is just and God is perfectly just and when God executes his perfect justice, it looks bad. But it's not. That's how it looks to our broken eyes. Christ committed no sin, told no lie, didn't return insult for insult. When suffered, he made no threats. He, Peter says, he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. That's the perfect man to look to. That's the man in this moment that I will challenge you. Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says call on him today. Do not harden your heart. If you hear God's voice, I've come to redeem you. I've come to deliver you. Do not harden your heart. Do not look away. Do not walk away. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The faithfulness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is perfect. You, you, you pick the person of God that you want to pick. God is God. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly faithful to you. Unendingly faithful. Unchangingly faithful from all of eternity past and into all of eternity future, God is faithful. And this is why Israel finds themselves at the mountain in the very presence of God. The Bible speaks without limit to the faithfulness of God. One time I wrote, the Bible speaks almost limitlessly. The Bible speaks without limit as to the faithfulness of God. If you want to begin examining your scriptures on a daily basis about the faithfulness of God, you'll never stop. The faithfulness of God is overwhelming throughout the scripture. David wrote in Psalm 36, verse 5, How great is the faithfulness of God? David wrote, Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. I want us to think about that. We could all go outside right now and look up and see clouds. You can get into a plane and you can fly above certain cloud decks. If you've ever done it, what a miracle. To get above the clouds and be looking down on clouds and up at clouds and clouds everywhere. How awesome. Man can only go so far in an airplane, so what do they do? They get into a spaceship, and and we watch space shuttles go up into the, whatever it is up there, leaving clouds behind, and all that's around is the great, vast void of space full of stars and planets, constellations and lights. How many of you have ever seen what's beyond that? None of us. No person has ever seen what's beyond that. I want you to have that thought in mind, and now I want you to consider us standing right here in whatever that is way out there, David says, "Your faithfulness, O oh God, stretches to the clouds." God's faithfulness is unending, unchanging." Psalmist wrote in Psalm 123, 121 verse three. God will not allow your foot to slip. That he who keeps you will never slumber, will never rest. That is the faithfulness of God. He will not allow your foot to slip. How often do we feel like our foot slips? How often do we feel like, Oop, I, didn't, I didn't mean to trip over that sin. We're like, oh. God will not allow you to fall. He holds you. He will keep you. He who keeps you will never slumber, never rest. Parents all over the room, and indeed myself, that just want to take a nap. God the Father has never wanted to take a nap on you. God the Father has never wanted to say, would you just go to sleep, you crying child? Give me a minute. Not only that, and I know what this is like because I have twins, Sometimes you have two children, you're like, would both of you please just go to sleep, right? And then if you get into multiple kids in your family, you know how this works. And anybody in here with two or more children, especially five or more, when one lights off, they're all going. Eh, don't you start. Don't have a cookie. Don't cry. What happened? They just, they can't help themselves. And the next thing you know, everyone is, you know, wonder what kind of week I had? Everyone is melting down. And what does dad do? I'm going to lose my mind. I can feel it coming. Take a breath. It'll be okay. God never does that with us. And do you want to know what is so fantastic about how great our God is? Every single person in this room could be having a tantrum meltdown. And he's holding every one of you in his loving arms and saying, it's okay, my child, I love you. You're mine. Shh. Oh, I hope you all know the rest of the Lord. I hope you've fallen into his arms and just let him hold you in the tantrum of your life. His faithfulness stretches to the clouds, never sleeps, never slumbers. Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. This is my paraphrase of those verses. They were given God's grace in Christ. They were enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge. They were not lacking in any gift, sustained, guiltless to the end in Christ, and called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ because God is faithful. Hear it again, please. Listen to these words given God's grace in Christ, enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge, not lacking any gift sustained guiltless to the end in Christ and called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ because God is faithful christian this is you and i i just read for you the snapshot of what happens when god delivers redeems and dwells with his people paul gives it to us in 1 corinthians giving god's grace enriched in christ you notice that in christ Given God's grace in Christ, enriched in Christ, sustained, guiltless to the end in Christ, and called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ because God is faithful. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote twice, two letters, one in 1 Thessalonians 5, that because God is faithful, he will sanctify us completely. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. I know that no one in this room felt like they were 100% sanctified this past week. Every one of you faced something in your life where you're like, I wasn't ready for that to become a problem today. And it's from within me. I'm still wrestling down the sin of man. It affects us all in different ways as we grow, as we age, as we mature. Sin hinders and comes at us in different ways. But every one of us, none of us is fully sanctified in gut. And Paul says that God, because he is faithful, will sanctify us completely. One day, every problem you have in your life will be gone. Sanctified completely. Oh, praise you, Lord. He wrote the second time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that God, because he is faithful, will establish and guard us against the evil one. I won't ask for a show of hands how many people thought they were fighting the evil one this past week. And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you either. You had something in your life, you're like, I don't know why Satan is coming at me. I don't know why this distraction, I don't know why this problem, I don't know what the deal is, but I am under this attack from the evil one. And guess what? God is faithful. He will establish you, which is to say, to build you up into a bulwark against the enemy's attacks, and he will guard you against the evil one because God is faithful. Oh, one of my favorites, John, 1 John 1.9. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? Your forgiveness of sin comes because God is faithful. The people of Israel are going to screw up bad at this mountain. They're not even going to leave the presence of God and step into gross sin. But God is faithful when we confess our sins to forgive us and to cleanse us. Praise God. Hebrews 10.23 tells us to hold unwaveringly to the confession of our hope because he who called you is faithful. How many people, you don't have to raise your hand on this one either, how many people this past week you wavered in your faith because you weren't sure of something about you. I have a good remedy for you. The next time that you want to waver in your faith about anything, you remember that he who called you to that very faith is faithful. I don't have to waver. I feel this attack. I feel this wavering. I feel this doubt, but I, oh man, I look to Christ. I look to the perfect man. I can't look to my spouse. I can't look to my neighbor. I can't look to my pastor. I can't look to the person in the pew next to me, but I can take my eyes and look to Jesus who is perfectly faithful, and there I find strength. We are not a faithful people. We sing the words of the song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. The God I love. We wrestle being faithful to God. But we can take great courage in this. One, you're not the first follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to feel faithless. You're not the first follower of the Lord God standing before the presence of God with the people of God to feel a lack of faith. And when you feel that lack of faith, the scripture we heard this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains. You should find that reference in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and you should underline, circle, and box in, God remains faithful when I am faithless. It's unchanging, it's unwavering, it's unending, it is perfect faithfulness. The faithfulness of God to do what he said he will do is what makes it possible for us to have faith in him. God's faithfulness takes sinners from inescapable bondage and makes worshipers of his name for his glory. He takes millions of people from bondage and oppression that they can't break and delivers them out of it, leading them through the wilderness, bringing them to the foot of his mountain because God is faithful. Faithful. In life's journey, are you trusting God to take you from inescapable bondage through the wilderness of this life and into his very presence for eternity? This is a question for everyone in the room. Whether you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that you will if you don't. Or whether you are here unwaveringly in this moment, as we are built up, as we are edified in song and encouraged by the gathering of believers, right? Every person in the room, we're like, I'm no, there's nothing weak in my faith right now. I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about when you walk out the doors and life starts because you've left this holy convocation of God's people at the foot of the mountain of God in his presence, Are you trusting God to lead you out of inescapable bondage through the wilderness of this life and into his presence for eternity? That's what he did for Israel. It's what he does for us because God is faithful. If you're here today and you are not in Christ, I long for you to know the faithfulness of God. I know that much of what I've said, if you don't know Christ and I don't know your hearts, I know many of you and I don't know your hearts, If you're not in Christ, much of what I've said has sounded strange and even foolish. What are you talking about? The Bible says to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You may have no idea what I'm talking about, but when I say to you, is God saying, do you hear God saying to you, I have come to deliver you? That was the message God gave to the people of Israel, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, God says it to every man I have come to deliver you. Jesus says, Who do you say I am? I urge you. Do not harden your heart or quiet the voice of God. Call on the Lord and be saved. Be delivered from bondage and led by God through this life into eternity. If you are here today and you are in Christ, how great is the faithfulness of God! Don't we sing the song? Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow or turning with thee. All I have needed. Thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Second Peter 1 4 says that God has given to us, precious and very great promises. 1 John 2.25 says the promise of God made to us is eternal life. Ephesians 2.4 says that promise is made because of the great love with which God loved us. Christian, the deliverance of God will not fail. The redemption of God will not expire. God won't change his mind about dwelling with us Though at times in our faithlessness, we feel very much all of these things. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. God, I come to you today, a weak and broken person, gathered here with weak and broken people. We are needy, poor, pitiable Naked, blind, wretched, and miserable, your word says, but we look to you, Father, that we may find new clothes, that we may buy gold from you, that we may be purified and be your people. Father, help us in our life to see in a greater way the depths of your faithfulness. Help us, Father, to look through the pure man of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the exact representation of your character. Father, help us to see in Christ perfect faithfulness. Help us to know and understand that you, God, are not like us. We will at times be faithless, but you remain faithful. Help us to know, God, that the bondage we have been delivered from, the wilderness that we are traveling through, and the presence of your greatness... It is your faithfulness that has done all of these things for us. And we praise you. Oh, God, make us a more faithful people to you, our faithful God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at the Until next time, stay in God's Word.